The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Ravens' season ends. Finally. Mercifully, with the final blow, this week, on Pod Like a Raven. Oh, not even a spirited intro, not even, not even creative, I'm just, there's nothing left here. It, it was, it was death by a thousand cuts, and we got all thousand of them. And it came up until Sunday night to get cuts 999, 998, and then 1,000. I'm going backwards there with cuts. That's how bummed out I am. I am Antonio Barbero. And here to talk about the Ravens once again with my fellas. It's a three-man booth. I'm excited to have both co-hosts to talk to this week, to decompress, to talk out this game this season, and just move on from what was the most frustrating season in the history of the Baltimore Ravens. Let's bring in, on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, you and I were talking pre-record about how kind of at peace you are already, a day after recording, and I think because you specifically were just ready for this season to end for the past eight weeks? Nine weeks? Yeah, certainly since the moment Lamar went down, I think, and all that started to play out. And I saw where it was heading, I don't want to say sooner than the rest of America, but I kind of was like, this is a season-ending injury, Uh, (laughs) like, as it played out. And, you know, but still, Antonio, even with this game, quintessential Ravens, right? I expected them to lose uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. We talked about it last week. You and me both picked the Bengals, uh on the spread and everything to win the game. Uh, and so we, the Ravens arrive at the result I expected. And yet the path there, they make it as painful as possible. It's the most Ravens thing you can do. Um, so yes, it, well, I was ready for this season to end and I'm not like devastated by what happened on Sunday, but it was very frustrating and they had a chance to knock the Bengals out. And yeah, just we'll talk about what happened because what happened was the perfect cap uh, to what was just, you said it. My least favorite Ravens season, I think, ever. At least in 2015, they beat the Steelers twice. What was there good about? They had a okay win over the Saints on Monday Night Football. They beat the Steelers. And they, meet, they beat Mitch Trubisky. That's like the highlight of the 2022 Ravens season. They beat Mitch Trubisky in Pittsburgh. Congratulations. What a wasted year. <laughs> and on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, we're already coming in hot. We hate this team. It's been a frustrating year. Uh, where are you on the scale of uh, at peace to crushed? I mean, I just want to say, let's just pack it up and go home after that. I mean, Jace <laughs> nailed it. What are we, three minutes into this podcast here? And I think everything that needs to be said has been said. So, uh, guys, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm going to go hang out and never think about this team ever again. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm less at peace because, stupidly, I convinced myself they were going to win that game. Um, beforehand, like before the game, I believe I even texted you guys saying they're going to win this football game. I don't know why. 
It was just <laughs> one of those had the feeling. And you know what? They probably should have won that football game, which is the most annoying part of this entire uh, exercise that we're doing here. Um, and they did not because, yet again, this Ravens team that should have made some wholesale changes last year, two years ago, um, in terms of the coaching staff, in terms of some personnel, decided to just not do it, decided to stick to, stick to what they had, and it again, again, cost them in the end. Um, maybe one of the worst called games from an offensive coordinator I've ever seen. Um, the, the the I'm big mystery man stuff from John Harbaugh, including that first quarter interview, which I know he shouldn't be interviewed during the game, but um, was laughable and embarrassing uh, to watch as a Ravens fan. And um, yeah, so I'm not doing great today, Antonio. Long story short, uh, and this this. This won't be cathartic. This will just be miserable, I think, for the next 90 minutes or so. Got the water poured. I got the cocktail mixed because uh, that's necessary for, for this particular episode. All right, let's get into this game. Ravens 24, Bengals 17. Oh, wait a minute. No, I got that I got that wrong in my notes. Ravens 17, Bengals 24. I don't know if you guys noticed there, but I accidentally gave a touchdown to the wrong team uh, and had the final score flipped by exactly seven points it's too perfect that the ravens elimination comes down to one play that ends up summarizing their entire season the backup quarterback making a ridiculous mistake on the one yard line unable to score in the red zone in seemingly the easiest situation possible due in large part to poor coaching it's too it's too much it is too poetic, it's too on the nose, it's too cliched that everything that the Ravens did badly this season, and the whole, even the backup quarterback and the starting quarterback, that whole situation, everything got shoved into one yard, one play. Harbaugh saying in his post-game press conference, Huntley didn't execute the play correctly, which was kind of a dig at Huntley, but actually was a dig at his own coaching staff. Because if the player doesn't execute, he hasn't been coached to execute the play correctly. It's not fair to us. Forget the Ravens. Forget the players and the coaches. It is not fair to us as fans that all those things happened in one play that led to not the lead and a potential stealing of a playoff game on the road with a backup quarterback, but a loss, the end of a season, and the Bengals jumping around and doing dancing in the grave after not really playing that well. I hate this Ravens team. I hate this team. Okay, that's one play. It was one play. It was one play. Well, it was more than one play. But the the one play, you were, you nailed it, was so emblematic. Uh, and certainly the one play literally determined the final score. That was the final score of the game. It's 17-17, we should say, uh, when this uh, fumble occurred. And you're right. It's just ridiculous. And I, that was actually as mad, I think, seeing that quote about Huntley as I've been at Harbaugh all season. And all of our... Our, our Harbaugh quotes because you're right it's a lack of execution comes down to the coach your entire job the reason you're paid what we say 10 million dollars we determined is to get the players prepared and if your backup quarterback who's been your starter for a month and a half by the way doesn't know to not jump in the air like if he's not aware that's what the play is that's on you but it was a ridiculous call anyway because it wasn't like they were like right on the precipice of the goal it was a long qb sneak and it was third down it was a horrible call 
Um, Tim, I want to get your opinion on this before I delve in, because I-, I mentioned it's not one play. The sequence leading up to this event, I think, warrants uh, a look, as well as the fact that why the Ravens didn't have the lead in the first place when they have the ball here uh, on the-, the edge of the goal line. Because that's also on Greg Roman, and I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I do want to hear your opinion on the play as uh, it pertains to this game. Yeah, I'll let you get back to the entire situation because you're going to break it down better than I can. But um, it's another example of something being cool and Greg Roman getting to it like seven weeks too late. Like he's your dad getting into like Tiesto right now, like in 2023 <laughs> uh, or like, and being like, Hey son, this EDM music's pretty hip. Like he, he's playing Skrillex at the next family gathering when we all are, or, you know, or like levels by Avicii. He's playing that when we were all banging to that in like t- 2010. And he's just figured like the QB sneak thing where you can push everybody. And then you have the, the quarterback can jump up. And as, as soon as he crosses the plane, it was like at the two yard line with a quarterback who is probably shorter than me. And I'm very much an average man in every way, shape and form. Um, I, it's ridiculous. JK Dobbins. I my my one tangent on this play because I know Jace you're gonna break it down and and the, the sequence leading up to it in detail. My one issue uh, we've talked a lot about J.K. Dobbins and his agent kind of being annoying and being very like oh I'm the bell cow I'm the guy and I was kind of like shut up J.K. You're like you were you haven't played a full season uh, ever like your rookie year you were used sparingly and you were good your second year you were out completely and this third year you've been you've been taking forever to get back into the starting lineup, uh, you know, not as long as the quarterback, I guess. But the fact that he had so much raw emotion afterwards, basically saying, quote, I should be the guy. I'm tired of holding back. I don't know why I got didn't get the ball. While I don't necessarily agree with that completely, because uh, the other running back in that room is 230 pounds of pure ass kickery, and he should have gotten the ball on the two-yard line, one of the two. Um, the fact that J.K. Dobbins didn't get any carries in, inside the 10-yard line, not a single carry, especially after scoring that miraculous touchdown that he did where he reaches out and actually hits the plane because, you know, that's his job and he's way better at it, is football malpractice at its highest level. It is I, – I don't, I don't understand how the Ravens in good conscience can look at us in the face as fans and say, yeah, this is the best – Foot, this is our best foot forward, keeping Greg Roman employed for all these years. Like, it is, it is beyond disrespectful to the football-watching fan base of the Baltimore Ravens and the National Football League as a whole that this oh, – I don't feel like bleeping this because it's already late in the evening. Man still has a job at the highest level. This guy shouldn't be coaching peewee football because of how asinine and insane some of his decisions are. So – it was a moment of pure shock, uh, again, from a guy, myself, most of this game was pretty encouraged. You know, I was like, this is the game we want. It's going to be crappy. It's going to be ugly. Let's just go for it. Come on. And then to have it all crumble because of, and I didn't even see this hardball quote where you guys, where he basically throws Hundley out of the bus, because that's absolutely ridiculous. The fact where this season, that yeah, it's over and we can joke about it being like great that we don't have to watch this team anymore. But I wanted to see the Ravens at least beat the Bengals because like that's a whole other thing we can get onto. Uh, that team, wow, you guys are cocky for doing literally nothing in this league. You have been the the 
poop stain on the underwear of the National Football League, you and your other Ohio brother in for so long, and the fact that you now walk around like your poop don't stink. Again, I'm doing really good not cussing today. Uh, it is ridiculous, but that's a whole other you know, sidetrack that we'll get into later, I guess. Yeah, again, like I said, football malpractice on the highest level. You can't put your quarterback in a situation like that, especially when you have the horses to get the job done. Um, and Greg Roman, yet again, uh, whether it's a troll job, whether it's, um, you know, just complete ineptitude, which guess what? Ding, ding. That's the answer. Uh, it, it's just, it's dumbfounding still, uh, you know, just what, as we record 23 hours or so, or a little bit less, um, since the final, final whistle. Um, yeah, it's mind boggling and infuriating and every negative word you can think of basically. Yeah, and I'm glad J.K. said something because me I'm too. With you. I've, I am. I've ro- I've rolled my eyes a lot at him uh, and his agent uh, over the course, but he's right. He's right here. He he he's the guy. He's clearly been like your best offensive player since he comes back from his knee scope, and uh, he scores your first offensive touchdown of the game. And to just not give him the numbers suggest he's like literally one of the best goal line backs in the NFL, and to just not give him an opportunity. It just speaks to what we've talked about over and over and over and over with Greg Roman about getting too cute. But I think without hyperbole, this was his magnum opus. This was his worst game I think he's ever been called as the Ravens offensive coordinator. He's just shockingly bad in the pressure moments. So before the QB sneak, which we all have just said, awful call. Um, that's That series begins... First a goal at the Cincinnati two-yard line after a long Tyler Huntley run. And then Huntley throws incomplete to Patrick Ricard <laughs> out of the flat. And it's just like, what are we doing? This is what, to your point, how is that not a JK run? How is that not a Gus Edwards run? I'm thinking they're going for it on fourth down because it's the Bengals. You know, I, I like what the defense had done to that point, but I think you need a touchdown in that spot on the two yard line. I'm thinking you have four downs to get two yards and you have JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards. They run Gus on second down. They get a yard, run him again. He's probably in the end zone. If you get him just one more yard, but they don't chose to do that. Um, but that that's not the only you know obviously this is the sequence where the game turns and so that's very frustrating there but uh you know we talked about that but just elsewhere in this game so first and goal at the Cincinnati three yard line 23 seconds to go before halftime one timeout they do not run the ball a single time they have a timeout no runs they settle for three points uh there was a third and one handoff to Mark Andrews at one point uh on a series they ended up scoring a touchdown on uh, but they didn't gain a first down on that play. They ended up going for it on fourth down and converted. Um, that was awful. Uh, it's pretty much seemed pretty clear. Mark Andrews wasn't reading it correctly because he's, I don't know, a tight end and not a running back. So that's overthinking it oh, yet again. God, I forgot about the Mark Andrews game. Yeah, that was early. That was when things were still going relatively well. <laughs> you mean the play where they had Mark Andrews motion and then go into the backfield with giant red flags waving all around him that he was going to be heavily involved in the play? Is that the is that the yeah, third it, down and one a, run with down. your tight end that you're talking about? The Bengals were prepared for that, uh, that attempt, Antonio. Um, and then there's the final sequence, which was really a Harbaugh slash Greg Roman special. Uh, we do have to just touch on because, you know, they have this awful fumble uh, sequence, which, by the way, you want to get mad. Here's one I read today uh, on that. Just, uh, you know, um, 
according to John Harbaugh, who uh, is also a huge problem in all this, I think. I, it's not just a Greg Roman problem. He has a boss, and it's this guy who's completely out of touch. And we'll get more into him, I think, in a little bit. But uh, you can't second-guess this. You know why? Quote-unquote, quote John Harbaugh, you've got two great backs. I don't think you can nitpick. Why was this guy in the game instead of that guy? Why did your quarterback sneak it instead of taking it back and handing it off four yards deep? That's just after the fact, really. Call the best plays that you think you have and you run them. I lost my mind when I read this quote. These aren't your best plays. You're not putting your team in position to succeed. And the fact that you think you are shows that you shouldn't have this job. But I digress. Back to the end of the game sequence, which was the real, a real Harbaugh Roman special. They throw a completion to J.K. Dobbins. Gets the ball to the 17-yard line. They waste 43 seconds. They do not, uh, I should say, they have two timeouts at this point. They throw a completion that gets them down to the 17. They waste 43 seconds just to throw incomplete to Mark Andrews in triple, if not quadruple, or quintuple coverage. (laughs) So, uh, that was great. That was just wasting 43 seconds for no reason. Um, They then ran a draw play that gained them negative 10 yards, thanks to a holding call on Kevin Zeitler. Uh, that also just gained four yards, by the way. Um, wasn't successful play at all um, in any facet. Um, and in this whole sequence that then ends with uh, two um, incompletions in the direction of Mark Andrews and then a desperation heave that nearly completed. We'll get to more of that in a little bit. Um, this whole sequence, they don't use a single timeout to actually stop the clock. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's mind-boggling it makes that that no sense it makes no they, sense th- their timeouts was to talk over the play and he walked away with one in his pocket thanks john you've been doing this for 15 freaking years now and i was just so poorly done um you know that that so it was the goal line sequence that end the game sequence but as i said just it was bad from roman throughout and i think truly one of his worst games and it, it, it's just astounding because it's like when the pressure mounts he just panics i don't know it's like we saw it against tennessee we saw it uh titans in the 2019 playoffs we saw it yesterday in the big moments he is not a coordinator that rises to the occasion and he needs to be replaced as immediately as possible if there's any hope of this franchise uh winning a playoff game again the only excuse i can think of for this two minute drill going as poorly as it did (laughs) is that the ravens specifically wanted you know you're trying to do a lot of things at once you are trying to score a touchdown while also not leaving enough time on the clock for the other team to kick a field goal and win the game i maybe that's in the back of their minds that they're okay with the clock running down a little bit to get it as close to zero as possible but when this is a team that specifically has spent 17, 18 weeks struggling exactly inside the 20. And you get to the 17-yard line with a minute and 17 seconds left. You need as many plays as you can possibly get. Because that is specifically where you're bad at executing. They let it run as Jace has circled it a little bit, but from a minute 17, they didn't run another play until the 34-second mark. When you need a touchdown... (laughs) And it's also a team that loves running the ball, and you had two timeouts. If you can get up after the J.K. Dobbins play at a minute 17 and hurry up, you can literally run the ball and call timeout. You can run it twice and call timeout at the 17-yard line and try to get some stuff going. Not that you should, but you could. And they eliminated so many options for themselves 
by, I suppose, just panicking and huddling at that point in time. And it is... Harbaugh it is attempted to explain so it. I don't know. Do you want me to just say his quote? Because it might sure. make this all bad. <laughs> sure. You're not spoiling anything for Harbaugh quotes, Jace. Uh, I've gone a different direction this week. So let us let us have all the real ones now. So he said this. These are all via Jeff Zerebic. The idea there was to save the timeouts for the red zone. I think the thing that killed us was the holding penalty, which knocked us back. The idea was we've got time. We want to keep those timeouts to throw the ball. So, we tried to pop a run there. We're going to call timeout after that. That's already at 29 seconds. That's at 29 seconds. It's get, You said it. Get up to the ball, run the ball at 117, and then take a timeout. If that, if you really want to run the ball and throw them off, which they didn't. Again, they gained four yards on the Justice Hill play. So, that, that infuriated me. I mean, it goes on and on, but it was the same. They wanted to basically run the clock out and not give the Bengals time to kick a field goal, but... Uh, yeah, it's horrendous. And then, Jason, I want to touch quickly on the previous drive, the, the previous drive, the other drive, the infamous drive with the Huntley sneak fumble. The, I, the, tell me if I'm wrong here. Uh, I feel like <laughs> this Ravens, I'm like in an AA meeting right now or like a counseling session. Like, this is how I have to approach this. No, you're going to need the booze, Antonio. Don't go to AA. <laughs> I feel <laughs> I'm gonna use I'm gonna use me me uh, statements to get over this, or like emotion statements to get over this. I feel like the Ravens running backs are not the type of unit that loses yards in the backfield very often. They either gain yards or maybe the hole's just not there, and they get stoned at the line of scrimmage. Okay, which adds to the aspect of. You're at the two-yard line. You run it with Gus Edwards. They're all bunched in defensively. He got a yard. He got half the distance. You have third down, maybe fourth down, as Jace has mentioned. Just run it. You you get half the yards. You're on the six-inch. Like, just run it every time. And if you were getting 25% of your running back's average yards per carry, you're going to get there. They each average five yards a carry. If they're getting half the distance, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You are a running football team. Your entire four-year MO has been sophisticated run plays. Here's the moment. This is the moment. It's the playoffs. You need a score. You're on the road with a backup quarterback. Do your best thing. And shove it down their throats until you succeed with your best thing. I hate, I hate this team. <laughs> yeah, like I can guarantee you. Like, obviously, we have years of anti-Greg Roman stuff, but Ravens fans are not gonna be mad at you, Greg Roman, if you take the ball. Your backup quarterback takes the snap, hands to your second-round running back, who then runs behind your sixth overall pick, left tackle, who's pulling behind. Your number one, your top uh, first round pick center. If you go down and they Bengals stop you twice in that scenario, congratulations, the Bengals made a play. They're a better team. Then they're a better team, and that's <laughs> but, it. And but you live with yourself. Yeah, it's just getting way too cute and overthinking it, and it's like, like, like Ravens fans are not like weeping disappointed if they don't score there. But guess what they wouldn't do? It wouldn't have been a 98-yard fumble return. You'd turn the ball over on downs with the ball at the one-yard line in a tie game, 17-17. Instead, it went, you got too cute. It went as completely horrible as possible. And 
uh yeah and your season's over because of it so yeah it, they don't that's the frustrating thing they don't go down swinging with their best it's always this stupid crap and it just it's hard to live with that as a fan when you know like we didn't like we gave them the game because they did because the, we'll get into it the ravens should have won this game with or without lamar jackson they the performance they put on if they have any other offensive coordinator in the nfl like if they don't have a bottom five oc they win this game by 10 points with the performance they had because we talked about it three points before the half when you can't get a touchdown that 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 just disastrous sequence and even the end of the game but any other oc they probably win this game by 10 with the way their defense played and instead they lost 24 17 your season's over and like this was the super bowl too like this team ain't beating the chiefs no. but like <laughs> like to, to knock out this Bengals team who i don't want to do I, I did it earlier i don't want to do the whole thing this team has won nothing and yet walks like on water apparently like they're jesus and that now joey burrow's at the point where like I will say I don't like Joe Burrow anymore. I've officially, <laughs> like, it, 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 it took shorter a shorter amount of time than I thought. Love Joe Burrow at LSU. I've always had a soft spot for LSU because uh, I had a good friend who went there. And I just figured kind of, you know, this would – it sucked that he went to the Bengals, but I'll still kind of like him. I'm out because this whole, like, oh, the our Super Bowl window is, is my entire career – yeah, your entire career is going to be Tim, seven Tim years. Missed, Tim missed the last episode oh, where I'm, Jace and I oh, did 40 minutes. Yeah. Of, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I'm aware. You guys, you guys carried the torch uh, very well. But, yeah, I just – I can't do it. Um, and the fact that they lost in a way that – the fact that – we say this about the Ravens all the time. I've been saying this since I was, like, 14. But the Ravens beat themselves in this game. The Bengals did not beat them. Like, we'll talk about the defense. Um, you know, one of the better defensive performances I've ever seen, even though they were giving up kind of dink and dunk, but that when they kept stepping up when it mattered. Kyle Hamilton, boy, we were wrong about him early in the year. That guy is going to be very good. They have a very good nucleus. Roquan, which we'll get to, excuse me, as well. But the fact remains that the coaching style – and method is not only from Greg Roman just scared and 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 wrong and not up to snuff, but the head coaching on down is archaic. It, it has gotten John Harbaugh has been passed by, the league has passed him by, and we should have recognized this. You know, he started doing Johnny analytics a couple years ago, and we were like, "Oh man, he's catching up." And then it was was it last year or early this year? Who knows? Where it was like. He was doing this stuff again where it's like, well, we don't want them to get the ball back or we'll just take the field goal. Like, he couldn't figure out what he really wanted to do and they lost some games that way. Uh, and then I just found this really, really interesting. And then the whole Lamar Jackson stuff, which we don't – maybe we'll get into today. Maybe we, we're going to have plenty of time in the offseason to talk about it, so maybe we don't do it too, too much today. But the whole, you know, v v like veil of secrecy about everything is just not how – the league works. I'm taking this from Mike Sando in the athletic. Who's a brilliant uh, football writer here. And he goes, it, he does his six points after every weekend. And this is, is Lamar Jackson finishing in Baltimore. The situation feels increasingly fraught. Uh, the mystery surrounding Jackson. I'm just going to read off of this remains unsolved. Seemingly by design. The situation remains unsolved, unresolved. Excuse me. The Ravens easily could have shot down the idea that Jackson's unsettled contract status might be influencing his availability. 
Isn't that what Andy Reid would do if Patrick Mahomes' motives were suddenly questioned? Wouldn't any coach do that for a quarterback he wanted to protect? Uh, Mike Sando asked an executive of another team who uh, obviously decided to remain anonymous, quote, that is absolutely how you do things, except if your last name is Harbaugh. That is what him and his brother do, and there's one more guy who handles his business like that. He wears cut-off arm sweatshirts with hoodies, and his name is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has earned the right to do this crap, but this crap is no longer acceptable, and, and again, <coughs> treating the fan base like idiots over and over and over again, and, and I think everybody is sick of it. You know, he almost this, – this is the same guy who almost lost the locker room to Ed Reed. And this is the, the same executive saying, quote, Harbaugh is a power coach. It's like it's 1983 and you're going, to get, you're going to get the kid to come back by saying he is an important part of the team and it's not a serious injury. But that doesn't work in today's NFL. He tries to make it coy and tricky, but he wants to exercise power over players just like the college coaches he comes from and admires. You are not the power player in this situation, John. And you're going to lose the entire locker room, if you haven't already, if this stuff continues. And I think his arrogance and his my way or the highwayness, we could be looking back in five years upon like a Raven, and it could be the thing that has completely derailed this franchise. Because they've let a franchise quarterback go, and they have wasted talent. They wasted the best defense this team has seen in, in years with, with, with the addition of Roquan Smith and the development of some other guys. They have wasted the, the, the peak of Gus Edwards, the peak of Mark Andrews, probably the peak of J.K. Dobbins, who I wouldn't be surprised. That guy, even though he was right on Sunday night, is kind of nuts. That guy might say, I want out of here. Trade me. Like that, this is a legitimate thing that could happen because you are so stuck in your ways and not willing to adjust and thinking that you're right over everybody and giving off that wry little smile during the interview where he's basically just insulting the sideline person who I guarantee you doesn't want to be interviewing you either because it's, it's an awkward position to be in. And then you just have to be, I don't have to bleep this, an ass about it the entire time. It just, it's, it's so infuriating, man. And I, and I, Unless Bashadi comes in and starts putting some strong arm influence, which he is famously, uh, and we like him for this, not known to do, this is only going to get worse before it gets better in Baltimore, and it starts with John Harbaugh. I, I was on the fire Harbaugh train at the immediate moments after last night. I've mellowed a little bit on that after uh, sleeping on it. I will say, um, if he's not willing to fire Greg Roman, then he does have to be shown. He has to go. He has to go. They can. They, you cannot run this back next year. But to what you're talking about, Tim, it's been ten years now since the Ravens won the Super Bowl, right? There's been a lot of Twitter this day ten years ago. Ray's last game, the Mile High Miracle. Um, so ten years. That's been two thirds of Harbaugh's tenure since the Super Bowl, and they haven't even sniffed the AFC title game. I would say since the 2014 season when they should have beaten the Patriots. That's the last time I think they were really close to even getting to the Super Bowl. So that's 10 years and they really haven't been close, uh, you know, for the last two thirds of his tenure. And I'm with you. It's just hard to imagine. He's 60 years old now. And, you know, it, people can, are coaching older and older in this league. 
But it's hard to just imagine him refinding the magic. If it didn't happen in 2019, the results we've talked about have only gotten worse pretty much. I know they have more, two more wins this year than last year, but it, it, it's just, it's, it's topped out. And I, I mean, I think you speak to, to just what's frustrating with this game too. It, it, and you know, it, so this stat to me, it, it paints a picture of what's been a wasted window that you were talking about with Lamar and this offense and this team. And it's been because of awful situational offense led by their offensive coordinator. So this stat via Jameson Hensley, the Ravens are the first team in NFL postseason history to outgain their opponents by 120 yards in four consecutive games. Baltimore is one in three in those games. They were had a plus 230 yard advantage against the Titans in a 28, 12 loss. They had a plus 192 advantage on the Titans in a way closer than it should have been 20 to 13 win. They had a plus 120 yard advantage against the Bills in a 17 to 3 loss. And on Sunday night, they outgained the Bengals by 130 yards in a 24 17 loss because of all the aforementioned problems we have talked about with just play calling in awful moments. And it's just it's just like the other th- the other like stat things that just jumped out to me in this contest in particular. A, we've talked about it. First multi-touchdown game for the Ravens since November, very funny. Could not get to 3 though. Oh my Oops. God. Uh and then via NFL research, uh Sam Hubbard's 98-yard fumble return was the longest go-ahead TD in the fourth quarter in NFL postseason history and the longest fumble return TD in NFL postseason history. So Ravens make history again because this is the longest defensive TD a team has scored since Lamar threw a 101-yard pick six against the Bills in January 2021. I ask you who was the offensive coordinator for both of these brilliant plays that resulted in two of the longest defensive touchdowns in postseason history. It is Greg Roman calling awful plays in the goal line situations. And, uh, yeah, combined with that stat about just wildly outgaining your opponent and managing to lose all these playoff games, I think it speaks to just how bad Roman is when the pressure's on. And, as we just talked about, Harbaugh maybe losing his touch in the big game. Certainly, you know, we talked about early in his tenure, a playoff win for five consecutive years. Doesn't that feel so far away to, like, to imagine just going into the playoffs thinking they'll win at least one game? I was confident in all those wildcard games, except maybe against the Patriots. But yeah, times have changed, and I don't know. I, if John doesn't want to change his offensive coordinator, yeah, he's got to go. I think that's my mission statement on John Harbaugh. That's so sad. <clears throat> it feels backwards to look at positive aspects of this game at this point. We'll go. We'll, you know, we can cover this briefly at this point because the result is what matters. <laughs> the ending of games is what matters in the NFL. Fourth quarters are most important, and that's where the team fell apart. And yet everything went as well as it could have. As well as it could have. You know, with respect, through three and a half quarters of this game, the Ravens showed up. They were dominating the line of scrimmage on both sides. The run game was working. Huntley had a couple of plays. They took advantage of a double move. Huntley had a 41-yard touchdown pass on a double move to Demarcus Robinson, who was wide open. Defensively, they were getting sacks not just pressures. Jace, not just QB hits, because you like the quarterback on the ground. They were getting sacks with a four-man rush. Their corners were keeping just about everything in front of them, making the Bengals have long drives with a ton of third-down conversions. The running game for Cincinnati had nothing. 
The Bengals basically put two good drives together all game, and one of them came after a short field with the Huntley interception. This defense is legitimately good, gave up 17 points on the road against a top offense, and yet the Ravens fall short by a touchdown. Do you guys want to cover positives? Do we want to just get on out of here, things you liked, uh, reasons for optimism for the future of this team outside of the coaching staff and offensive malaise. I just, I would go quickly on the defense. Um, I think there is a need for an outside corner. I think, you know, I think it's more likely than not that Marcus Peters is not on this team next season, as unfortunate as I think that is. Because, yeah, as much as his ability has declined a little bit, the people that want to kill Marcus Peters. I think kind of forget that Marcus Peters is the ultimate boom or bust player. And granted, he hasn't been boom in a while, and that's fair. Uh, and I, I'm more than willing to take that criticism. But I always want that dude on my team. I always want the the mean MFR on my team, the guy who's going to get in faces and going to talk trash. And then like Tyler Boyd is the one calling him out when T- Tyler Tyler Boyd. You, they've drafted two receivers ahead of you because you're simply not good enough. You schmuck. Get the hell out of here. Um, I, that's sad, but overall, I think this defense is is set. Um, you, you know, Calais Campbell, who knows if he's coming back on Monday. He even addressed it that he might not be. Uh, you know, he's going to have to kind of reassess and see what happens. I, If Lamar comes back and they want to pay Calais Campbell, I have a feeling that Calais Campbell will come back here. If not, he'll go try and find win a Super Bowl somewhere else and good for him. Totally respect that. Uh, but the line, Travis Jones, Justin Matabike, Broderick Washington. Those three dudes as like defensive tackles are fantastic. Adafi Owe, I thought, was good against the Bengals, which is, you know, we got to see it more often. I'm not, you know, I'm not counting my chickens before they hatch or what have you, but that seems impressive. Um, Roquan Smith is the best player in all of football, uh, in my opinion. And I'm simply... All I'm doing at this point is now just waiting to see if he switches out of 18. If not, the black 18 is getting ordered by on, on Fanatics. Like, Wh- whispers, if, Tim, that 18 is sticking for, okay. uh, for Roquan. If that's the case, I'm buying it tonight. Like I, that, he's, <laughs> He is almost already on my Mount Rushmore of favorite Ravens of all time. Uh, just, and if you listen to this podcast, you know how I like watching Ravens football, and that dude just delivers. Uh, Patrick Queen has been unlocked next to him. Those two are a fearsome duo. The likes of pretty much only San Francisco can match in the middle when you're talking about middle linebackers and a, and a duo that plays so, so well. You know, we're going to see more of David Ajabo. Um, I think Mike McDonald is a great coordinator. I think he had a great game plan, and, and it was infuriating to see some of the third down conversions, especially the third and longs. It's tough to be a fan and watch Burrow be able to dink and dunk the entire game, but that was the point. Marlon Humphrey is still, although he he cannot cover Jamar Chase, which is just a ter- which is a nightmare. But he's few still- can Tim. To be fair to him, few can. Absolutely, absolutely correct. Um, he is he is still one of the top corners in the league. And then you have a leader like Chuck Clark in the back with Marcus Williams, who's another one of your big money free agent acquisitions. And then Kyle Hamilton, who Kyle Hamilton is is a freak, as Ben Solak from The Ringer says wingspan the size of texas makes the biggest play or one of the biggest plays in that game last night forcing the fumble with a just hit stick type of hit on hayden hurst um that guy that guy drives me crazy too uh you're not any good what's he like 32 yeah three years in the league right great um there are other jokes i could make but they'd be insensitive um i just i i'm really 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 encouraged by this defense 
Um, I think maybe another rotational piece in the defensive line, especially with Calais Campbell. Um, if, if you can get more pass rush, you're never going to say no to more pass rush. And then, I, I, you know, put just put this on a loop every offseason for the Ravens, another corner or two. And this defense is going to return as one of the strongest units in the league with a coordinator who with a full year under his belt at the NFL level who's going to be more prepared uh, than he was early in the season. Um, and, yeah, I to try and put a little bit of positive on this and not to ramble too long, I don't think there's any – outside of injury – I don't think there's any doubt that that unit is going to be like top five in the league next year. Um, and, and all the numbers point to it since Roquan's acquisition. They have just been ridiculous. And so that's encouraging, especially because who the hell knows what's going on with the offense. Yeah, the uh, the defense ended up top ten in both points and yards against. They were actually finished third best in the league in points against, which is kind of an astonishing climb when you consider where the depths they hit in the early part of the season. So I'm with Tim. It was very impressive. And, and on, on Sunday, I mean, they limit the Bengals to 234 yards, which was their second lowest of the entire season. Only a weird Monday night game where they got run all over by the Browns was the only game they uh, had fewer yards in. Uh, and the Bengals basically went three and out their last four possessions. This was the other thing I think that really impressed me was just still even giving um, the Ravens a chance at the end of the game. Uh, because, you know, it's three possessions, but technically they have a roughing the punter on one, but they make them go three and out again. And so to just keep them in that, because I, as a fan, was completely defeated after after that fumble play. But for the defense to not quit in that moment on the road in Cincinnati, when that crowd's going crazy, to just shut down the Bengals like that when they had a chance to, like Cincinnati has a chance to put the game away, I thought was really, really impressive. Um uh, I will say some other positives. I'm shocked. Uh, you mentioned Marcus Peters. I'm stunned he didn't get ejected from this game. <laughs> uh, and one one offensive positive. Shout out Mark Andrews. He played a great game. Uh, had his best game uh, in the playoffs in his career with an amazing catch in the fourth quarter that should have set up something big. Uh, but um, and then even just his effort trying to you know get back on that fumble return, he was he was moving. He uh, I saw he hit over twenty miles an hour. They said he ran the fastest he's ever been clocked uh, on the field in his career at you know uh, what he's like two fifty two seventy five. However big Mark Andrews is, he's a large man. So I thought he played well. If I'm gonna give anyone a positive on the offense, I just wanted to uh, shout him out and. But one more offensive negative, and I think just kind of, unless you guys wanted anything else you wanted to address, but to put a sort of bow on this game, it of course ended with James Prochet uh, being oh unable to, to make a play on the very last uh, play of the Had game. Had a legit was, chance. Yeah, I closer than I thought even on the replay. Like I was like, oh, he's there, and then I collapsed onto the ottoman. I was <laughs> standing behind, but uh, um, yeah. It just a, just what a capper of the season to have James Prochet almost make a, a game-changing play, uh, only to not do it. it. It was just a perfect perfect encapsulation of the Ravens' season in, in one play. <laughs> Jace, I love the shout-out for Mark Andrews. He is 6'5", 256, and he's a guy, he's your, your best playmaker in terms of outside of the quarterback position, you know. He is your best playmaker, period, when you talk about who was on the field for this particular game. He's he's the all-pro. He's the already-got-paid guy. 
he was having a great game, and I I think the list is short of, I mean, diva's the wrong word because he's not a diva, but like, I'm the number one here of whatever thing. I've gotten that big contract here. I think the list is short of that type of player who does the 100-yard sprint to catch up, you know, a guy running downfield when there were like four Bengals in front of him and he like weaved through all of them. You could argue was blocked in the back and if he isn't, probably makes the I mean I'm not I'm not going to complain about that. That call never gets made in that situation, <laughs> yeah. but if that block in the back doesn't happen, he probably makes the tackle at like the 30-yard line which could have kept it to a field goal and changes the game, obviously, entirely. I hope that play gets remembered in the locker room specifically. The type of play, the type of hustle that, like, that that guy, the already paid guy made. And maybe I'm giving him too much credit for something like this, but I've played, you know, I've played sports, and when I, when that type of thing is happening far away from me, in games that mattered very little, and I'm not an employee of the of the team that I play for, the effort is low on thinking you have any sort of shot at getting back there. And I, I would love for that type of play, even specifically because it didn't end up working, I would love to see that, like, shown in the, like, you know, whatever. When they analyze film a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, like, you always have a chance, you always have to try to make a play. Um... Especially when it's one of your all pros, you know, one of your top players on the team. And thus ends the recaps from Pod Like a Raven. Uh, what a season. On the most annoying season of recaps of all time. I tried to end it on, it's not even a positive, on effort, on an effort play <laughs> from a guy who wants to be there. Uh, <clears throat> from a guy who wants to be there and makes big plays, the effort plays. When the chips are down, even after he's gotten that big contract. All right, with that, let's turn now to the random Raven. And Jace, you are up this week. Is it is it Prochet? Who do you have for us? <laughs> yeah, no, not someone who's made the soon to be random Raven. Who, who Mark is it? Who Andrews got for us? like uh, impact uh, on his team. <laughs> so uh, this player was drafted by the Ravens in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL Draft. The Texas A&M product spent two seasons in Baltimore, appearing in 17 games. He made just three starts for the Ravens, however, and was traded to the New England Patriots in August 2019. He's bounced around the NFL since, spending two seasons with the Pats and the last two seasons with the Raiders after brief off-season stops with the Dolphins and Jaguars. He did, however, start all 17 games for the Raiders this year, so test your knowledge of how much Raiders you watch. And then uh, clue number five, with the Ravens, this player wore number 71. I I know who it is. I don't think I'm going to pronounce his name right, but <laughs> I know who it is. But that's I'm a, that's use, a I'm going to use Tim's statement as context because I do not have a name, but I'm going to work out who are the hard names to pronounce. Reverse engineer it. <laughs> uh, well, that's perfect, Jace. That's perfect for a last week random Raven. Uh, we're going to do Harbaugh quotes, too, but, you know, whatever with Harbaugh. Uh, the perfect way to end this segment, because whatever. I assume with as we get into the off season, there's not going to be as many fun 
stupid Harbaugh quotes because he doesn't have to like keep as many secrets. First of all, there's not as many press conferences. He's not going to have to do the like, will he or won't he, or like I'm flirting with this guy or that guy to play or to be active or to be on the team next week and all that stuff that he tries to hide for competitive balance reasons that end up being irrelevant. So for this last iteration of Harbaugh quotes for maybe forever based on if we have a Harbaugh to quote next season or at least until next season when Harbaugh comes back. Uh, It's a little bit of a different format. And the format is that I'm just going to read off the quotes that he gave in his interview after the end of the first quarter because they were petty and they were cheesy and they were embarrassing. Embarrassing, yeah. John Harbaugh asked (laughs) the Marcus... Peters penalty had just happened the personal foul and so of course the first question has to be what did you know what did you think of that penalty and the quote from John Harbaugh well I didn't like that last penalty awkward silence question number two uh what will you tell your guys defensively in relation to that penalty oh we'll be fine it's gonna be a hard-fought game we're going to play a good game. Awkward silence. Question number three. What will it take to see Anthony Brown, because Huntley had just thrown an interception on what was his second pass of the game? And, you know, the Ravens pretty much themselves had offered up that both quarterbacks were going to be available and play in this football game. Seemed like a reasonable question. What will it take to see Anthony Brown? We'll just see how the game goes, okay? Thanks. Two awkward silences in that. One before the thanks, one after the thanks, and then a nice grimace from Harbaugh as he walked away from the interview. I get it. They're awkward. They're dumb. You shouldn't be interviewing head coaches during the game. But he, again, almost like intentionally, performatively, took it to its worst extreme and had just the cringiest, most awkward interview ever. So it had to be. In this segment of Harbaugh Quotes, there's no quiz for the fellas. Nothing to ask. I'll ask this. Was it the most awkward interview you've ever seen uh, in-game? Or does uh, Greg Popovich forever hold the title for that in the NBA? I was going to say Popovich probably takes the cake. But but this is the thing of him trying to be Belichick and him trying to be Popovich. These old-school, like, disciplinarian-type coaches. And it just, when it comes out of his mouth, it sounds even worse. Well, and here's the thing with Popovich. He's doing it as a bit at this point. Like, it's his whole thing is the interviews are short. And, like, everyone loves Popovich. He'll talk to you for, like, 45 minutes after the game sometimes about just whatever life. And he's a normal guy. The Harbaugh's are wine not normal people. Lo- loves a nice fine wine. <laughs> loves going to dinner with his players and being normal. And everyone seems to love him. He's a beloved guy. I don't know how beloved the Harbaugh's are. What's crazy to me is Jim Harbaugh less normal than John Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh has gotten himself in NCAA uh, NCAA trouble this season for refusing to talk to investigators asking about minor recruiting violations. He's getting served a level one violation that might result in him being suspended because he just won't answer and talk to and misled or whatever investigators. It won't help them out. And he's been hit with that. 
He, uh, I don't know if you all have been following Jim Harbaugh's dalliances. He's allegedly not going to the NFL now. He released a weird statement today about that. So as weird as John Harbaugh is, the fact that he has a brother that's even stranger is, I, I don't know what's going on with the Harbaugh family. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. All right. Let's turn to fun things instead. Let's turn to the rest of the NFL's super, and this is coined, this is my trademark, I said this a year ago, super wet and wild card weekend from the NFL. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Some fun games. I'm going to let my co-hosts take, really, go wild here. Go wet and wild. Go super wild, wet, whatever you need for a couple of minutes. San Francisco romps against the Seahawks. The Chargers have the worst collapse in playoff football history. The Bills do their best to lose at home to Skylar Thompson, but escape. And the Giants keep it rolling. There's one game pending as we record Cowboys at Bucks, so we can't talk about that too much. But what was your favorite game to watch? Your weirdest game? Your most important talking about? What do you have to get off your chest in terms of NFL wildcard weekend? Uh, I'll just go quickly here, uh, and I'll let Jace kind of break them all down if you'd like. But... Um, I, and maybe I was just trying to go against the public, but I kind of believed in the Vikings as this weird, like, they just find a way to win team and not, and like accepted all the stats for what they were. Uh, And then obviously the Giants, the Giants Eagles game on Saturday night now. Giants got that weird Giants thing. Um, As Tony Miola, who was one of my hosts on my show, um, on my, my actual job, he is a Giants fan. And he says, you know, every, every couple years we just pop up and win the Super Bowl. But, we, you know, <laughs> we won't bother you after that. We're not going to make the playoffs. We're not going to be frisky. But all of a sudden you'll see us and we'll just make the – and you'll just go on a run and win the Super Bowl. I don't know if they're that good, but damn, this Giants team. Um, for the discounted price of Danny Dimes, would you rather have him or a fully guaranteed Lamar Jackson? There's an offseason question for you we can talk about later. Uh, still probably Lamar because Brian Dable's a genius and we're not going to get him. Uh, and the only other game I really want to touch on, and I'll let uh, Jace kind of handle the rest, is is the Chargers-Jaguars game. Now, <laughs> here in Baltimore, um, I think a lot of the generation, and, and not the likes of Ryan Wormley, shout out Ryan Wormley, a uh, friend of ours and, and loyal listener as well. Ryan is probably one of the most passionate Orioles fans in our age group that I know. And the reason I say that is because if you don't know, if you're not from around uh, Baltimore, you don't pay attention to baseball, wouldn't blame you. It's an incredibly boring sport. Um, the Orioles' ineptitude has kind of sucked <coughs> the fun away from being a baseball fan. And as I've mentioned to these fine gentlemen, both on and off air, this is the most excited I've been about the Orioles uh, probably in my life, or at least since the, the playoff runs in, like, 2012 because of the talent that they have. And I'm excited to, like, flip them on in the background in april may june and what have you this year when i would never watch games ever because they were just horrendous i get to this point because i think that if i was a chargers fan i wouldn't like football i'm pretty (laughs) sure i would hate football and i would think that it's a dumb sport that is completely rigged and i there's no sense in watching it because only the best team oh they only want the (coughs) patriots there they only want tom brady there uh, and they don't want anything to do with our lowly Chargers. The, to, the, to the San Diego Chargers fans that are San Diego locals and then kept following the Chargers 
when they move to Los Angeles and still have to go through this crap, I am so sorry and maybe find a new sport. Maybe just quit. The Padres have a lot of talent, right? Just be a Padres fan at this point, although they're probably cursed as well. I just want to bring up these stats from RJ Bell on Twitter. The Chargers had a plus five turnover margin because Trevor Lawrence could not stop throwing the ball away. And it's or throwing the ball to Asante Samuel, more specifically. Four interceptions in the first half. Since 1989, NFL teams with a four plus four or better turnover margin, 730, 30, and 1. That is a 96.1% winning percentage for NFL teams since 1989 that have had a plus four or better turnover margin. Since 2000, teams with a 25 to 29 point lead, 434 and 4. That is a 99.1% winning percentage. The Chargers had both of these things, a 27 point lead, and again, as I mentioned, a plus five turnover margin. And still lost the game because of just some inept coaching decisions. Justin Herbert, who, by the way, didn't play that great down the stretch. Everybody loves Justin Herbert. He's a great quarterback, but he's going to take some fault here, too. And Brandon Staley uh, pussying out when he is usually Mr. Go for it on fourth down, Mr. Analytics have to. He decided to take a three, the three points field goal. That was missed. The Jaguars and Dougie P, who has fully embraced his Floridaness, and I love it, just said, screw it, we're going for this. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence does too, by the way. He celebrated at a Waffle House. It doesn't get more Florida than that. Um, great story for them. I hope they don't get just absolutely butchered by the Chiefs, and they might. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit here to end the show. But what an utter, dismal collapse by the Chargers. And I'll just put it this way, as somebody who – had a small financial stake, stake excuse me, in the Jaguars, I was never not confident that there was going to be so, at least some sort of fight back. Um, did I expect a full win? Probably not. But let's just say it's so sad that I wasn't completely surprised that the Chargers completely chargered all over themselves on Saturday night. Oh, yeah. When it, when it hit 27-14 and you're like, well, two touchdowns, they're in the lead. I'm like, ah! <laughs> it's not the door's not slammed at this point and then uh uh yeah i mean it was still surprising it's the third largest comeback in playoff history uh 27 points down so in that sense it is pretty rare but yeah the i'm with you i wasn't stunned it happened just because of the chargers of it the jags being the team to pull it off was funny and uh, yeah respect to trevor lawrence for for throwing it uh you know still willing to sling it after throwing four picks didn't seem to get you know, rattled by all of his mistakes early. He uh, seemed to maintain his confidence, uh, you know, into the second half, certainly. And then played mistake-free down the stretch. And uh, and then Peterson, too. I mean, to win this game in regulation as well. That was a really they're, – they're down 10, a really bold decision to go for two uh, when Trevor did a successful uh, jump over the line and extend the ball because they were closer. And also uh, he saw how the char- uh, Chargers were lined up, unlike our own team. But, uh, you know, it was uh, a great game. Uh, as for the Giants, I, Tim, I, I picked the Giants on our show. I, I, was, I did not have the faith of the Vikings, so I wasn't exactly stunned. I do think the Giants are playing about as well as they have all season, so you're right, that Eagles game is going to be interesting. Not a ton to add on the Bills. Keep an eye on Josh Allen's interceptions. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it, I, you thought they would come out and just hammer the Dolphins, but... And Skyler Thompson's line wasn't great, but he hung them in the game, and they hung around, which is a concern, I think, going against, I think, a good Bengals team that 
has its own issues we'll talk about, I think, in our gambling section. But the game I want to talk about, actually, the most is San Francisco 49ers Demolition. Because I have been... The, shoe ha- the other shoe has to drop on this Brock Purdy thing at some point. This guy was not that good in college. He was the last pick of the draft for a reason. You could argue he cost Iowa State a Big 12 championship just with his mistakes. <laughs> a team that had Brees Hall... The Jets uh, rookie who looked like he was going to win the rushing title before he tore his ACL this year. Uh, And just a really, really good Iowa State team. He was arguably the biggest reason they didn't win the Big 12 that year uh, was his play. And so I've just not been, like, thinking this guy's good. But he's the first rookie to have multiple touchdown passes, I believe, in six straight games. Or at least his first six games. I think Herbert might have done it too. But, uh and for me, it just circles back to a problem with our team as well. Just this whole Brock Purdy thing, it's a great lesson in the value of coaching. Kyle Shanahan puts his players in a position to succeed in a way our offensive coaches have never done really the entirety of Harbaugh's tenure, because lest we forget, Cam Cameron was our OC for four and a half years. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just like a thing with, uh, like, watching Shanahan and I've been a Shanahan critic at times because I'm always like the record should be better than it is if he's as good a coach as everyone says he is but this year I mean I'm still like skeptical uh of of them winning the Super Bowl but I mean they've this is what 11 straight wins now with that defense with him finding ways for Purdy to not make mistakes and the other thing I guess is another lesson the Ravens can learn is you can have success with a quarterback like Brock Purdy when you have Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk, who was a high draft pick in the same year as the Hollywood draft. He's he's become a really good player. They have just so much skill talent. They have a good offensive line. Trent Williams, one of the best left tackles in the league. And, yeah, it's just lessons, I think, to be learned for the Ravens because I think we're a team that's doing very similar things with a good defense. Now, we don't have players as good as Nick Bosa, certainly um that's that's obviously the number one kind of piece on defense is a guy like that that the ravens are missing and we talked about it too with tj watt a few weeks ago but yeah just watching the niners it's just really impressive and i'm still not 100 percent sold on the purdy thing but how they came out after trailing at halftime i thought the seahawks played a really good half all things considered and to just hammer down touchdown 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 out of uh halftime to put the game away turn it into a blah it was really impressive and you know, we'll see what happens in Eagles. I, I, I do think people are maybe selling the Eagles a little short, but it's hard not to look at the 49ers and think they're the best team in football right now. I have a few things to go over here with the NFL. Jace, those are all fantastically frustrating points about the 49ers <laughs> and how they're able to just plug and run based on the coaching leading to the success with not a backup quarterback, but a third-string quarterback. Um the Bills game <clears throat> was bizarre to me, specifically from the Bills' perspective. They had this game in the bag for the first quarter. They drop a third down touchdown pass instead of 21 nothing. It's 17 nothing. They make a ton of mistakes to make it interesting. And then in the second half, Josh Allen is doing the, like, only 50-yard throws or checkdowns. <laughs> That's it. Nothing intermediate, whereas the entire first half... They were killing the Dolphins on, like, slants. They were getting, like, five yards of separation with digs on a seven-yard slant. Stop doing that entirely. Why do intermediate stuff when you can just throw bombs over and over and over again? 
they are a bizarre, not even the team. Josh Allen himself is one of the most bizarre players in the NFL. I guess that was his whole MO in college too, right? Is that he had all the talent and he could do the amazing throw and then also would miss a guy by 20 yards. He doesn't miss a guy by 20 yards so much anymore, but he just does dumb stuff all the time. And I don't know if that Bills team can win three, four games in a row against top opponents because you can't make those mistakes against good teams. This should have been a 20-point, and maybe even more, this should genuinely have been a 40-10 to blowout of the Dolphins that instead was a field goal for three quarters, two and a half quarters of this game. They're a bizarre team. I don't trust him at all. I, I don't know how he can put together four straight games of playoff football. I mean, it's, it seems so foolish, but the Joe Flacco run was four straight games of not turning the ball over and then hitting some big stuff over the top. Um, I don't know where we are with Allen, and I'm gonna we'll see what happens in the gambling section, but uh, I have some concerns about him being able to get away with as many things as he gets away with as the competition gets tougher and tougher. And then finally, uh, to Tim's point about San Diego. Tim, you're a soccer guy. NWSL, uh, Women's National Women's Soccer League. It's, it's new-ish. It's hot. It's hip. San Diego Wave joined the league in 2022 in their inaugural season, Tim. They went 10-6-6, went to the playoffs, made it to the semifinals. They have Alex Morgan on that team. They have Abby Dahlkamper. They won, they won a World Cup. Those are big names. Don't follow the Chargers. Don't mess around <laughs> with any of that stuff anymore. Just go check out a San Diego Wave game. Go have Wave. Fun. The, t- the tickets are probably a tenth of the ticket to go watch the Chargers do something stupid. Uh, <laughs> the beer is probably a tenth of the cost. Just enjoy it. Guess what? Watching a soccer game is a much more enjoyable experience because the game starts and then it keeps going and then it ends. You don't just have 10,000 stoppages so that you can get 1,000 commercials in every game. So for all those San Diego guys out there and gals, check out the Wave. Why not? NWSL. Not the Chargers. All right. (laughs) Let's turn now to a brief snapshot for next season for the Ravens. We are going to have weeks and months to analyze the roster, the coaching staff, the draft. But for now, we're doing a little post-mortem on the end of this season, moving forward to next year. We're going to start with the state of the defense, go to the state of the offense, and then the state of the coaching staff. Just a couple of quick hits here. Let's start with the best unit, the defense. Roquan Smith, by the way, signed to a long-term deal. He will be here for five years. I, I I was about to say at least, but NFL contracts are, uh, they're a wicked game, so who knows. But we're talking about a young guy signed for a long time. He's getting the most for his position in the history of the NFL. I think it kind of makes sense. He's young. It's a five-year deal. He's getting $1 million more per season than Fred Warner, who had the previous highest deal for that position. Whatever. Looking at this defense as a unit if you turn to the draft and free agency, they have to add cornerback depth, as Tim mentioned earlier. They maybe have to add some sort of pass rush depth. 
And then this unit's pretty much set. And not set in terms of being on average defense in the NFL, but being a top 10, top 5 unit. Broderick Washington, Matabuke, Travis Jones, Odafe Owe, Ojabo, Patrick Queen, Kyle Hamilton, Roquan Smith, Marcus Williams, Marlon Humphrey, all of them are 26 years old or younger. All of them are signed at this point to multiple-year deals. This is a ridiculously stout team that needs to fill in a couple of spots, not in the starting lineup even, in terms of getting depth, and I'm very excited about the 2023 Baltimore Ravens defense. Yeah, I'll just go quickly because I you know, kind of did this a bit earlier in the program, but I think... Lamar Jackson or no Lamar Jackson, this is the unit that's going to carry this Ravens defense or the Ravens team, excuse me, for the next couple of years. Uh, simple as that. Even even if the Ravens, you know, get a new offensive coordinator, you know, they get Cliff Kingsbury out of Thailand and they they re-sign <laughs> Lamar Jackson and they you know go trade for a new Hopkins who apparently wants out of Arizona, something like that. Regard, regardless, irregardless, whichever one it is. Of, of any of that, of the offensive improvement or, or, you know, more likely everybody leaves and, you know, it's Derek Carr, I think, as Jay said, off air, maybe on air, um, playing for this Ravens team. It's the defense that's going to carry it. And look, I talked about the antiquated John Harbaugh, and I think all those points still stand. I think the one thing that I will still, and it could just be my football upbringing, quote unquote, watching this team for so long. I still believe that a good defense can carry you to a Super Bowl, even in the even in a offensive league nowadays. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly excited for that side of the ball. Well, I think we saw it pays to have, and especially against a Bengals team that you'll will face two times a year for the foreseeable future. You have to imagine Deshaun Watson's a little better next year for the Browns. Uh, there's some good quarterbacks they have to face multiple times a year, and I think it pays to have a good defense to to deal with that. Like you saw, like the Ravens' defense is good enough. They gave a team that had a modicum of competent offense a chance on Sunday against one of the best offenses in the league. And so, yeah, I'm very excited. And I think with this Roquan deal, uh, obviously massive, but sort of positioning him to kind of be the face of the the franchise in a little in at least the defensive face i think yeah, i mean i'm with you tim i've just loved how he's embraced like just everything like he's he's like become a vocal leader like kind of with the trash talk with the Bengals and, and stuff like that in the lead up to this game the sea is sunday and those kind of comments so i'm very excited they were able to to get a deal done with him especially we should just kind of mention uh another player who does not have an agent but they were able to work a deal out because he wants to be there in season no less uh he was working towards it and it sounded like you know he probably did leave a little money on the table not testing free agency but he wanted to be here and yeah i mean as you said he's going to be a cornerstone the one thing i will say in defense i think we have seen the last of marcus peters we kind of touched on it but i do think they have to try to replace him in a meaningful way because he still brings a lot, I think, emotionally to the team. Even if I think his skills have certainly diminished the last after tearing his ACL, he certainly wasn't the same player. But maybe that's the case for re-signing him. Maybe it'll be better next year. Who knows? He's still a pretty young guy, all things considered. But uh, um, So I won't be surprised if uh, Peters is gone. That's probably, I think, the biggest change you'll see um, on the defensive side this year outside of the possible retirement of Calais Campbell. All right, let's do a uh, state of the offense. Jace, oh, take it away, because I need to avoid this unit like the plague. Well, so the obvious question is, is Lamar Jackson the quarterback in 2023? Um, 
I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this. Uh, one thing that cropped up, I think we do have to touch on since the last time we recorded, was Sammy Watkins' public comments, basically calling Lamar Jackson out. Um, you know, telling him to throw a brace on. Uh, so Sammy's exact quotes. In this league, everybody is pretty much banged up, hurt. I don't want to speak for him in his situation, whatever he's going through with the contracts. I don't know what world he's in. But for me, you got a chance to do something special. We all love, with Lamar Jackson out there, this team is really freaking good and special things can happen. He can will his team to a Super Bowl. Um, but he's got an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. I hope he hobbles back out there. Put him out for pass plays, don't run him. But you never know. Uh, he went on and on. But basically, the, the thing was, he also mentioned he hadn't talked to Lamar. Uh... And, you know, this is a thing I think we know to be true that Lamar isn't communicative with his teammates, with probably the coaching staff, which would at least in part explain John Harbaugh's bizarre, just complete mishandling of things, is if they don't know the stat uh, state of his knee. Um, I think the Sammy quotes is what prompt. Oh, and I, I started to say. Marlon, we know he does, Lamar doesn't talk to people because last week, at the very end of a Jeff Zarebic piece, Marlon mentioned he's seen Lamar getting treatment, but hasn't talked to him about it. And I'm like, that's bizarre, because by, for all intents and purposes, Marlon Humphrey should be one of the leaders of this team. He was their first-round pick in 2017. Lamar was their first-round pick in 2018. They should be the <coughs> offensive and defensive leaders of this team. And one of the defensive leaders of the team has not talked to the quarterback about his knee injury. That was a real red flag for me. And so there's it's a two-part issue with Lamar. A, does he want to be there at all? And then B, like, this knee thing is so bizarre and is on just the heels of two straight years where he suffers an injury that seemingly does not sideline most people that long that has just ended his seasons. And he's still apparently hobbling around, uh, which to me makes it seem like he needs surgery on his knee. It's been a month and a half and he's still hobbling around. So I don't know where we stand with this. And the the, the funniest, just to put a cherry on top of Sam, Sammy Watkins goes on this whole thing about how Lamar should hobble out there. He hasn't talked to him, but he has a chance to do something special. Then he said this today via Jameson Hensley. Sammy Watkins said he was being sarcastic and selfish last week when saying Lamar Jackson should come back and play in the postseason. Watkins said he has since joked with Jackson about it. I don't think it's a joke. I think he didn't know because no one knew what the state of Lamar's knee was until he tweeted about it, which I think he only did because he knew this Washington Post story was coming out because he doesn't tell anyone anything. It's very clear he's just not communicative. And I've just been moving more and more out on Lamar. Like, you know, if you're going to make this investment in a team like the Ravens are for hundreds and hundreds of millions of guaranteed dollars, it needs to be a two-way street. And then, you know, not to defend the Ravens, because I think we've spent the whole rest of the show crapping on everything they do on offense. But, you know, I think it doesn't hurt to show a little professionalism and maybe, like, I don't know, keep the team abreast, your teammates abreast of what your knee situation is like and it's okay if he's hurt and can't play that stuff happens but i think it also gives the ravens pause like two years in a row now lamar has missed the last month of the season and just completely derailed teams that like you know had a chance to do something like it's it's just really frustrating and so for me i have i want to ask you guys this question but just first like I am not convinced Lamar is ever going to win a Super Bowl with the Ravens or elsewhere, just based on these accumulating, just, you know, rumors you hear, things that crop up, just about how much 
all in he is. You have to kind of be a psycho to be a winning NFL quarterback. Tom Brady has seven because he doesn't like let human emotion get in his way. He played an entire season on a partially torn MCL. Uh, and so, you know, that's not a great look when a 44-year-old man goes out and wins the Super Bowl with a knee brace and you're not willing to put one on. But I think the other thing with the Lamar thing is people just focus on the big picture. They see his 46 and uh, 45 and 16 overall record. That's really good, right? But it, let me walk you through Lamar Jackson's last two seasons when he should be getting better. He's 12 and nine with 33 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, and he's missed 10 games between these two last two seasons. Uh, and and the, as I said, these injuries sidetracked one team completely. They lose six straight games and miss the playoffs. And then if he's healthy this year, they like this team could win the Super Bowl. Sammy Watkins was not wrong about that. They had what it took with this defense and a healthy quarterback to get to the Super Bowl in what's been a very weird year for the NFL. And, you know, whether he can play or can't play, regardless, it doesn't really matter. In the end, he let his team end down just from health. The greatest ability is availability. He's been unavailable for two years. And I think that gives the Ravens pause, especially if all this behind-the-scenes stuff is way worse than we think. So, I know I just rambled on and on and on, uh, but on the that's the Lamar side. Obviously, there's the Greg Raymond side I think we've touched on a whole bunch. But... Um, it just, I guess, yeah, it's like, I was thinking about it, and I was like, what has been fun about Lamar Jackson being the starting quarterback of the Ravens since October of 2021? What good has happened? He gets sick every year. He misses games. He doesn't play that well after September. And look, he's a great quarterback, and all in all, I do want the Ravens to re-sign him, if given a choice. But there has to be finality to it. They can't just keep playing this out with all this just mystery and crap and swirling rumors to just to move the franchise forward even if they go three and 14 next year without lamar jackson they need to figure out something about his future and all get on the same page otherwise this team's going nowhere i feel like pack it up and go home i mean you nailed it it's it i'm I'm not even kidding like that's exactly my thoughts on this entire situation i think all three of us here would say we would rather lamar jackson be the starting quarterback of this team moving forward than not but you you can also say that and not have to be this, like, as as I'm sure we have people in our lives. I know I do. If he goes to Atlanta, I'm a Falcons fan now. Uh, he's the best thing since sliced bread. It's like, he's a great player. And he is, on his day, one of the most fun Ravens I've ever watched. But I can't do this anymore. There's, there's, there's more than one report that he's not doing showing up for rehab and stuff that he's not taking this seriously to recover to get back when, when all we hear from about Lamar Jackson usually he's a competitor all he wants to do is win and and on Monday as we record this did I like hearing a lot of the guys in the locker room throw their support behind him Mark Andrews Ronnie Stanley and the like absolutely absolutely but I also think they kind of have to say that and just like just like John Harbaugh needs to stop basically dicking around the fan base Lamar Jackson needs to do the same thing as well and this is not they they offered him a 200 this is reported by everybody they offered him a very good contract that was better than Russell Wilson that was better than Kyler Murray in terms of guaranteed money and he said no to it and he needs to be held accountable for that it's not that the Ravens didn't want to pay him the Ravens didn't want to pay him a fully guaranteed contract you know who's not going to pay him a fully guaranteed contract? Pretty much the rest of the league not named the Cleveland Browns. It has literally never happened outside of Deshaun Watson. And you know what? Go get your money. 
that's fine. And we've said this conversation over and over and over again. I'm, I'm more than fine if Lamar thinks, you know what, somebody's going to pay me fully guaranteed. I can't talk about a man's money like that. If he thinks he can get it, fine. But you're leaving the best possible situation. A team that literally built an entire offense, and albeit a flawed offense, around you when nobody else in the league was willing to do that. Every team passed on you in the draft, the Ravens included, in the first round. They took a chance. They completely tore down their offense and built it for you. They made you the star of this team. They, they, everything was Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, to the point where you have sycophants like people you know, I mentioned before who the Ravens fans are pretty damn loyal. They would leave the franchise if he leaves. And these are not the most unreasonable people in the world, although it sounds ridiculous. So, yeah, well, no, that's what I'm saying, though. It's driven these people to that point. And you have to take a little bit of accountability here. And the, the reports that you, you know, it, the reports that he's not taking it as seriously, all the, from, from both the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, just the lack of communication about the injury to the point where Harbaugh basically was doing I don't know towards the end of the season in terms of when he's coming back, which seems ridiculous. Again, malpractice, as I mentioned earlier in the show. I don't know. State of the offense, to answer the, the actual question, Antonio, is a massive TBD. Um, but something significant has to change. Has to. Has to. Whether it's security with Lamar Jackson, whether it's move on from Lamar Jackson, and if it's if it's not fire Greg Roman, I, I don't I don't and I think Jace wrote this on the thing, and I'm not even I think I'm with him. You're doing the show solo, Antonio. Like I'm not doing this again. I'm just not. Um Something significant has to happen. Until then, we're just kind of, you know, left in the lurch a little bit as Ravens fans. I <clears throat> imagine the Ravens, and I don't know the, <clears throat> to be fair, I don't know the details on when these things, like, have to happen in terms of the off season, but I imagine they will tag him first and foremost and then try to work on the contract. And eventually this off season draw a line in the sand knowing that he doesn't do this stuff during the season they will draw a date and a line in the sand and a number that says you take this or we're gonna look to move you because we're not gonna let this get to the point where you just play a last season and then you're gone as a free agent and we get nothing in return so the other aspect of this is you know it you haven't been paid yet, so why risk major injury? The, you know, the, the, that is a rumor. And there's been a ton of noise from 800 different places, and you don't know what's real. But the one- to three-week injury turning into a six-week injury uh, without a sniff of practice says something. Um, so the idea of, you know, he, he didn't want to push it, maybe, while he didn't have that big contract, and that's the favorite of like the ESPN world of like, well, why should he? Why should he until they take care of him? Well, if he wants a gigantic all-guaranteed deal, and you give him that, what what motivation does he have to play another football game in the rest of his NFL career? After literally any season, any game, any bruise, any toe issue, for six years... If it's an all-guaranteed deal. That's what made the Browns move 
So ridiculous. So absurd. <laughs> the Ravens will not do that. They have proven that with too many players, with too many deals. It's a shame. If you're a Ravens fan, you've seen the quarterback play that we've had for 25 years. It's usually not even average, much less above average, much less unanimous MVP. But there's going to be you know, a rock and a hard place situation this offseason between the Ravens saying, what eye test do we have to give you that fully guaranteed deal when the last two years in a row you haven't been there for the back half of the season, which is the most important stretch of the NFL for every team and every quarterback. I'm, I'm obviously I'm feeling negatively about it long term, unless I suppose they kind of meet in the middle with something. But I have a hunch. I have a hunch that that moment comes, and he believes maybe rightly that another team will give more guaranteed money, and that's a shame. But that's where I think we are with the state of the offense. The last one, state of the coaching staff. There is a scenario <laughs> where we draft a wide receiver in the first round a corner in the second or third round, replace the offensive coordinator, and this team should literally be stacked. We talked about the defense already. If we draft any sort of wide receiver talent in the first round and Bateman comes back and we still have the tight ends and we get Duvernay back and you maybe get somebody, some veteran in the offseason on a one-year deal, even the wide receiver room is in a very good place. Everything else is pretty much set. There's also a scenario where we, as I just mentioned, tag and trade Lamar Jackson and completely start over with the entire coaching staff. I don't know, guys. Any, you know, what is more likely at this point? I don't even know how to frame this question. What do you prefer? What is more, I guess, what is realistically, it's January now. Let's jump to late August. Which of these two scenarios has happened more likely? I... I think minimal change and Harbaugh somehow is just still here. Uh, maybe And again, I, I think it's gotten to the point of a farce with the Roman stuff. So I think it's, it's incremental change again. And then they're like, Oh, well, we'll just be a tough out again. And they'll go 10 and seven and lose in the wild card round. Like I, I'm, I'm less optimistic about this team. Finally, finally realizing that significant change has to happen, that they won't make it. Um, you mentioned you mentioned the wide receiver stuff too, just quickly, and we're going to do more of this. So I, I know we're running incredibly long here. Um, I'm I'm at the point with John Harbaugh where, as of right now, I'd rather him not return. But I also know that that's incredibly risky, and it's very hard to find a consistent <coughs> good coach. And the good franchises are stable franchises, and I understand that. But there's just been too much evidence of the game passing him by than him learning to adapt and adjust. Um, it seemed like he adjusted for a little bit, and then that's all gone completely out the window. Roman, we've done it enough. I'm not. I'm not talking about him anymore until he's off the team. Um, and then in terms of, you know, going after the talent, Antonio, I think you're exactly right. I think this team has a ton of talent, but they need. They cannot not address the wide receiver issue. They cannot do it again. I know Duvernay and Bateman got hurt. Bateman, you can't trust to stay. He he's been hurt both of his seasons in the NFL. You can't trust him to be the guy. You look at the NFL free agent list, by the way, bare, to say the least, in terms of the, the uh, wide receiver market. So I would almost rather them, and it, it's, it's kind of funny, like Greg Roman doing everything seven weeks too late, 
the Ravens getting in the offseason after the wide receiver boom and trying to trade for a guy. And I just keep mentioning DeAndre Hopkins because he officially wants out of Arizona. So somebody like that, make the move. I know you don't have as much draft capital because of the Roquan Smith thing, but sacrifice a little bit more, DaCosta, because you ain't, you ain't been hitting a ton of them anyway as it is. I mean, you hit, you've hit a decent amount, but maybe this draft was okay, I guess. It shouldn't be too, too harsh. But I would like to see... At this moment in time, and this will absolutely change as where it's not as raw and fresh, and I understand that. <clears throat> I would rather see significant change than not significant change. I just don't think it's going to happen with a with a franchise who prides itself on stability like the Ravens. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Tim. I, I'd lean, I'd prefer it. It's hard just because so much of it is tied up in Lamar's future, I think. Because, like, I don't know, like, what's the motivation for John Harbaugh to come back if it's like, hey, you don't have a quarterback next year (laughs) like i feel like that's it's like a perfect scenario to be like i put in 15 years i'm gonna resign we'll part ways and everything's fine but yeah i mean we've talked until they make a a move on roman which i thought they were gonna do last year they made wink the fall guy probably because he probably voiced his displeasure about how things were operated to john more and the front office more if i had to guess just knowing the personalities of the two people so um yeah i uh i'm not gonna be stunned if there's big like i think they should make big change i'm with tim i don't think they'll make significant change i think they'll fire roman and just hire like i don't know who worked coached at michigan that they could hire josh gaddis or something (laughs) but uh you know um i do want to just self-correct one thing i said lamar was 12 and 9 his last two years he's 15 and 9 i'm very bad at math uh but still not like as sensational but yeah i i, I think the I lamar think the stands are gonna like, be in the comments for you uh, oh man that's uh, a playoff uh, team dim- jace 15 and nine's a playoff team you're trying to diminish how good lamar is uh <laughs> but um yeah it, it's it's weird to, for both of their fates to be so tied up but <clears throat> i think they that's why this offseason is so critical is because they just need clarity on all of it i think i think if they get clarity on Lamar's situation, I think it makes the future of the coaching staff much more clear. Because I think you just... If, if like, they know Lamar's coming back, I get rid of everyone, and I just start from scratch. And, you know, uh, I think that's fine. Eric Acosta's never hired a coach before. It's not like... I, I don't know that he's done a fantastic job, necessarily, but he's built a playoff team or two since he, he's taken over. The defense, we just praised and praised i think it's as good a spot as it's been since ray lewis was on the team so uh I, you know i i do think that the offense and the coaching staff need major change i just worry about it happening um but they have to know i mean they you know there's the the flyers getting left at the ravens facility to fire greg roman i'm sure they're hearing from their season ticket holders they 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 can just look at the the crowd that was like not there on that freezing cold game with the team in playoff contention uh, whatever game that was against the falcons i guess on christmas eve that no one went to because it was cold and they're like this team stinks why am i gonna go sit in 17 degree weather to watch this so I think they're aware of the problems and I just hope they go to the Bahamas or whatever, like they do every year and they come back and Greg Roman's not the OC. But yeah, as Tim said, if they don't fire him, we're going to have to get, we're going to have to get creative on, on pod like a Raven, maybe take a mini hiatus. Uh, <laughs> until be, I'll be doing like the NPR, just like one man show of like the just Ravens <laughs> flying through like North America, like the bird, not the actual team, just like a nice deep dive into <laughs> how cool ravens are as animals 
the North American raven settles in <laughs> northern Appalachia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's hope it doesn't come to that for so many reasons. All right. Let's turn now to the gambling section. It's time to get some picks in, guys. There's no ravens in the fold anymore, but doesn't mean we can't have some uh, some tasty picks for the listeners. Uh, I was 1-1 one one last week, lost my Bills pick, which seems impossible because Jace and I on the pod last week were able to lock it in. The whole point was that we were able to get it at like 10 or 10 and a half because the Tua news hadn't happened yet, and it was like, well, if you like the Bills, lock it in with 10 because Tua's probably not playing and the line will change. Well, it didn't matter because the Bills... Josh Allen, I guess, more than anything. So I lost that one, but did win the Bengals pick because we locked that one in when it was Bengals at minus six and a half uh, before we knew who the quarterback was going to be. <laughs> That's a good joke. All right. <laughs> 33 and 26 on the season. This week, I'm doing two picks. There's a few games. I would have loved to mix the 49ers in somehow, but we don't know who they're playing yet. We don't know the line because we're waiting on this Monday night Bucks cowboys game. So I'm just doing two picks. And I'm going unusual for how I've done things really throughout the season. It's two dogs. Uh, I'm taking the Jags at plus eight and a half against the Chiefs. Kansas City has struggled to cover all year. That number is really, really high for a team with a good quarterback, a good coach, a ton of confidence, late cover potential against the Chiefs who I, I think they're going to win this game by a field goal, by a touchdown, maybe. And you get that extra point and a half for Jacksonville. So I'm taking the Jags plus eight and a half and I'm just living with it. And then I'm taking the Bengals plus five and a half at the Buffalo Bills. This line has moved, I think Jace has touched on this or he'll get into it, that there's four and a half some places, five and a half in other places. If you can get five and a half, I would love to take Cincinnati. If you ever have a game where realistically it's a toss-up between the two teams and you just get five and a half points to play with, that's all I'm doing here. That's all I'm taking. The Bills struggled to put away a bad 9-8 and eight Dolphins team at home. The Bengals with all their offensive line troubles, have a legitimate chance of winning this game. They looked okay against the Bills through like half a quarter in Buffalo. This line seems too high to me. It maybe is a field goal late. I just can't give up five and a half points when I would be 0% surprised if the Bengals won this game outright. It's like a, like a, I don't know, buying something at such a discount that you don't even need to use it, but it's at such a discount that you have to buy I have to take the Bengals getting five and a half points, and those are my two picks for the week. I'm probably just bitter, uh, Antonio, because I took the Bills on the side of the ledger, and as you said, it seems to be vacillating between minus four and a half and minus five and a half for the Bills. I kind of like it on both sides. Even though the Bills didn't look great, I do think they can take advantage of the Bengals' offensive line, which we did not really touch on, but it is falling apart at a rapid rate. And if they're not winning the Super Bowl... The reason why is Jonah Williams looked down, did not look good, kind of non-contact sort of injury uh, in Sunday night's game against the Ravens, and they were already down the complete right side of their offensive line. Their right tackle, Lael Collins, is out, and Alex Kappa out, and they both appear, I believe, to be out for the foreseeable future. I haven't seen anything on Jonah Williams 
But three of your five starting line offensive linemen out uh, after a group they'd played every game together since from week one to week 15, and then suddenly they've lost uh, three of their five starting offensive linemen in the last three weeks. Uh, it's just not great. Um, so I think that'll hold them back, even though, as you said, I, I, the, the Bengals can probably take advantage of some of the back-end problems the Bills have, and there's no Vaughn Miller, which if Vaughn was there, I'd really love the Bills' chances against this Bengals O-line. But it's kind of just a bet on the Bills in Buffalo, maybe a bounce-back performance. And on Josh Allen, who I think, while enigmatic, is good. And I, I, I so I just landed on them. The other, I took, I just made all three picks of the games we have finished. Uh, the other, so I went Eagles minus 7.5 against the Giants. I do think people are sleeping on the Eagles a little bit. They didn't close the season good, but they were rolling until Jalen Hurts got hurt. And now his status is kind of... Like, obviously, a big question mark lingering over this game, but the Eagles beat the Giants 48-22 to in New York. The game before, uh, Hurts injured his uh, shoulder, I believe, against the Bears. And then they lose two games with Gardner Minshew, and they kind of struggle with the Giants at home in a banged-up Hurts uh, last week to close the season against the Giants' backups. And that has made everyone just panic about the Eagles. I think that the team that started 13-1 and <laughs> is still pretty good. And I think can take care of business against a division rival who they've now played three times. Beat them twice. I know it's hard to beat the same team three times. And I'm not going to be stunned if it's close. And I love, as good as I think the Giants are, I think they still have just personnel limitations that the Eagles don't have. And if Lane Johnson plays, pretty much when Lane Johnson plays, the Eagles win. When he's hurt, they don't. <laughs> kind of the sense he was drafted. So, um... Uh, I, I, I like the Eagles in that one, I, just because I think people are sleeping on them. And I'm with you on the Jags. They went into Arrowhead earlier this year, uh, kept it close, hung tough. I believe they lost by 10, but, um, you know, they had some chances in that game, and it just kind of got away from them. I'm with you. The Chiefs will win this game, but they will not cover. My pick, my prediction is Chiefs 27, Jaguars 23. And the Jaguars have got with the offseason feeling great. What a season for them. Uh, you get to the divisional round after you were the worst team in the league. Uh, just last year, uh, you know, not many teams do that jump. I believe they're only one or it's a very short list. If they're not the only ones to be the worst team in the league, dread with the number one pick and then win a playoff game the next year. So it's already been a great season with the Jaguar for the Jaguars. They're playing with house money and I think they'll cover, but they will not win. For the first time in pod, like a Raven history, I'm going to try a tease. Because I think I like after it. three years or four years or whatever it's been, I think I finally understand what that even means. Um, it's taken me a while. <laughs> I did some of the math. I might have screwed up anyway, but this is what I have. Jaguars plus 15 and a half. It's a seven-point tease up to plus 15 and a half because I don't think they'll, the Chiefs will cover the eight and a half. They never cover, but this is a just-in-case that we forgot how good the Chiefs were and the Jaguars have already played their Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going to bring the Eagles down to minus a half. And then the Bills over to plus one and a half through the plus minus sign there. Tease them all together. Um, the Eagles, it's just, I think they win. And then you're just guaranteed. It's just basically taking the money line at that point. And the Bills is a complete spite bet because F the Bengals. <laughs> I hope that they, I hope that they lose by a hundred. Um, not to, not to put light on it, but DeMar Hamlin is definitely coming out for this game. Like that is almost certainly going to happen. That place is going to be losing its mind in Buffalo. I think they can clean up some of the mistakes, even though Josh Allen hasn't been, you know, the elite of the elite since the elbow injury. I think they can do enough. Uh, and I just don't, you know, screw the Bengals. So, again, seven-point tease on all these. Parlay them all together. Jags plus 15.5, Eagles minus a half, and Bills plus 1.5. Yeah, I might be I rooting it, for Tim. the Bills. Welcome. 
uh, harder throughout the rest of these playoffs, I think, than I perhaps have ever rooted for a non-Ravens team. I'm trying to think. I'm sure I've pulled hard, probably was rooting for the Falcons hard in the Super Bowl, but I think for a full playoff run, I'm firmly on Team Bills. I hope the Bills win the Super Bowl, especially that we didn't play them this run. Knock out the Bengals. I mean, if you lose to the Chiefs, it's whatever. I'd prefer the Bills beat the Chiefs, but uh, I'm rooting for the Bills. So I'd like to congratulate Tom Brady on another Super Bowl championship <laughs> <laughs> when he inevitably plays Buffalo in the playoffs. Oh, man. But. Uh, I believe a seven-point tease is plus 140. So you bet 100 and you win 140. So, Tim, welcome. Welcome to the three-team tease. May it may it pay you well uh, over time. Those are our picks for the week. The last thing left to do is answer the random Raven. So, Jace, can you give us those clues one more time? So clue number one, this player was drafted by the Ravens in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL Draft. The Texas A&M product spent two seasons in Baltimore, appearing in 17 games. He made just three starts for the Ravens, however, and was traded to the New England Patriots in August 2019, which, just as an aside, I think this is the 12th different random Raven that's been traded to the Patriots yeah. that we've done in the show. Um, clue number four, this player bounced around the NFL since, spending two seasons with the Pats and the last two seasons with the Raiders after after very brief off-season stops with the Dolphins and Jaguars. He did, however, start all 17 games for the Raiders this year. And then clue number five, with the Ravens, this player wore number 71. Uh, an additional fun fact, he was born in London, apparently. Yeah. Spent several years there. I remember that. Um, Antonio, if you'd like me to go on this one. Um, Run with it. Germ- Unlike this player, run with the ball. Jermaine Illuminor? Is that is that, that is the name? how I believe you pronounce his name, and that is our random Raven wow, for this week. That's... Jermaine Illuminor, a player I was watching a Raiders game a few weeks ago, and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> this guy used to play for the Ravens. Uh, not very much, but yeah, started all 17 games for the Raiders this year, and wouldn't you know it, they had an awful offensive line. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, Jermaine Illuminor, our random Raven of the week. The very definition of a random raven. Jace, you got somebody literally born outside of the United States. Uh, how random. Um, and yet, a guy that yeah, we're, we're familiar with enough uh, to remember his, his raven days and certainly his move to New England, which has become a frustrating <laughs> pattern. I'm not sure how well it's actually paid off. No, he didn't play much. Calculated all of it up, yeah. <laughs> But still seems like it's uh, something that the Ravens are doing poorly by giving too many players uh, to New England. All right. It was a long episode. Guys, we had a lot to go over. We had a lot to get off our chests. Season's Um, over. It's the last big episode. You know, they may not listen to us for the next six months, so we had a lot of things to talk about. Stick with us over the next few weeks. We will continue to bring you whatever Ravens news happens. We will update you on some fun things from the NFL playoffs. Keep up with our picks and maybe start doing a little analysis on uh, on who this team needs in the draft and in free agency next season for jace evans and tim horsey i am Antonio Barbera. thank you so much as always for listening to us on pod like a raven we will see you next Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.